And if they don't have it, it, it tends to bother them and they feel like there's, there's not been. But notice that deal, uh, whom Jesus loved. Now, I'll tell you, I think that's a little bit, what, ornery? Didn't he love anybody else? If you don't think that's that, go to, go to John 19, 26. Watch him. Watch him. Watch him through the book of John. John is writing this on the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to the mother, behold thy son. Oh, okay. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by who he, whom he loved. In other words, who Jesus loved. He don't love nobody else but me. Or maybe he loves me more than he does the rest of the disciples. There's that need for that extra beyond average, beyond normal feeling of being loved. And I want to tell you something now. If your wife's a mercy, you better pick this one up. And even if your husband's a mercy, you better pick that up. They need that reassurance continuously that, that uh, so forth. Look at John chapter 20, verse number 2. John 20, verse number 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, the other disciple, who up? Whom Jesus loved. <laughs> he just keeps saying it through the book of John. Look at uh, 21 7. Uh, John 21 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Does that seem odd to y'all? A little bit, kind of. There's something there. Why did the Holy Ghost put that in there? Because of the gift of mercy, that need. Hey, hey. You need to know Jesus loves you. You need to feel like Jesus loves you if you don't love anybody else in the whole world. There's something to this. It's that personal, individual love of God toward me, irregardless. Boy, I see all of you with fans are going like that, man. I tell you, I hate it. If we can, if we can find anywhere in the world about, I want a, I want an air conditioning system on the north side of the church that stands about that high, as long as this wall is and blowing cold air in this place. Amen. Boy, I mean, I will tell you what, I hate that for you because I don't like, I don't, I don't like people be uncomfortable. But anyway, you keep fanning because maybe some of them come up here on me. But anyway, that, and then finally, uh, verse number twenty of that same chapter, John twenty, verse number twenty. Then Peter turned about, seeth the disciple. Whom Jesus loved. Did you ever think Peter might have said, hey, John, don't you think he loves the rest of us too? But I want to say this to you. You need to feel personally that Jesus loves you if, he didn't, if there's nobody else in the whole world. Can I tell you, he'd have died for you if there'd been nobody else in the whole world to die for you. He'd have died for you. And you need that closeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anyway, we get past that. And you can go back to, to the, your dealer, guys. But what happens to a person if they misuse that, they come, become of, possessive of people, want to monopolize their time and attention. Number three, we said this morning, they empathize with hurting people. This is one of the biggest things about a mercy. They will emphasize, the emph, emp, blah, 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 emph, emp, how do you pronounce that? Empathize. <laughs> Empathize with hurting people. Maybe that's why I don't empathize with hurting people. You know, a prophet says, yeah, you fell, you skinned your knee, let's get up, let's go, we got to get done. Mercy goes over and says, oh my goodness, you hurt your knee. Oh, bless your heart. Go to the house and have mama kiss it and put a band-aid on it. Don't you do that to your boy. Now, if you don't do that to your girl, you help yourself. Don't you do a boy that way. You tell that boy, brush it off, let's go. See how, see how mercy works? I'm trying to make you be a man. I don't want him. I'm merciful to him. I don't want him to turn out to be a sissy. Amen. I'm having mercy toward him. <laughs> no, a mercy will, um, 
If you check the book of First John, First John continuously uh, talks about uh, if there. You know what John's theme is, First John: don't hurt people and don't hate people. You won't hurt people if you don't hate them yeah. intentionally. Uh, as we said, the opposite of that, the, the, the wrong thing with they'll tolerate sin and evil. And then they make number four, make decisions based on the benefits of benefiting people. And uh, the, the uh, problem with that is they'll lean on emotions versus reason and actually lean on emotions over scripture. And you want to be really, really careful about that. That's where a lot, that's why I say mercy, as far as I'm concerned, is the most dangerous of the gifts in being misused because it t- can tolerate evil. And it'll start working on emotion and even experience because they because they love somebody. They'll say, well, he had that experience and I don't want to offend them and say that wasn't of God. Yeah. You better watch that stuff. Mercy can get a church in trouble so fast. And we need them. And I'm, I'm telling you, we, I need mercy bad. Uh, number five, they're deeply sensitive to loved ones. And um, John, where do you where do you read the scripture for God's soul? Love the world that he gave his only begotten son. Where do you read that at? The Gospel of John. Where do you read this at? Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the perpetuation of our Where do you read that at? All that it, John writes about the love of God more than any person in the Bible. And uh, boy, I tell you, we, they're very sensitive to that. So we got down to number six this morning. And we'll pick that up. I'm going to try to go through these very quick. Decisions based on needs. And... Uh, uh, one, a person with a gift of mercy has a deep understanding of people going through mental or emotional distress. And this sensitivity causes those with hurts to be drawn to him and confide in him. Now, let me tell you something, a little danger right here. When, when a person, all right, senses somebody's going through trouble and through trial and they're down and they're discouraged, a mercy will want to come in and try to just, it's different than exhorting, oh, come on, are you going to be all right? It's just this, I want to empathize with you. I, I want you to know I understand. Uh, one thing you got to be really be real careful about saying, "I know how you feel." You may not. You may not. You're, don't be careful about saying, "I know what you're going through." You may not. Uh, but in their effort to comfort them and help them, they'll say things that they think will help. What they want that person to know is, "I care deeply, care, and I'm trying to relate to you. I am weeping with those that weep, and I'm rejoicing with those that rejoice. I care about you now." I'm going to get into a little deal here tonight that's, I think, really important on number six, decision based on the needs of people. There can be a defrauding, the misuse of that. Uh, that would be the, the next one, I'm sorry. Uh, the desire to which, attract people in distress. Can we get that one up, guys, the next one? The characteristics. We talked about attract, uh, mercy is attracted to somebody who's going through a hard time. They're in distress. But here's the danger of it. They attract opposite gender. You say, Reggie, what's going on here? There's been more people. To, by the way, let me just cut off the message and say something. Got a phone call this evening. There was a lady led to the Lord this afternoon using one of, of uh, uh, no, of Ethan's tracks. Girl saved this evening. Got a phone call. And so, boy, I tell you, I did the blessing. Amen. And, uh, Anyway, a person in this church led another person to the Lord, and they used one of Ethan's tracks in doing so. In Bible colleges right now, and in the ministry per se at large, 
One of the biggest things going on the last 20 years has been the ministry of counseling. Yeah. Okay. And American people have ceased to be a people who got their counsel from God and they begin to get counsel from man. And people in the ministry very subtly understand that if I exercise this issue, act like I'm really concerned about you and that person feels like they can talk to you and confide in you, what has developed out of it is this ministry of biblical counseling. And I want to tell you what got more churches and more people in trouble is a pastor counseling people. Now, I'm not against pastoral counseling. But basically, what I, uh, you know, the idea of a, a pastor, a preacher, a minister being a doctor is kind of true, but it's a spiritual doctor. So you give them the medicine and the treatment. So what I need to do is give you the Bible. You've got problems, you've got a situation to deal with. I need to give you scripture. That's my prescription. Okay? But what you get into is these preachers sitting down with some woman who's having problems with her husband. And it's just wrong. It just don't work. You say, Reggie, what can I do? Call Karen. (laughs) Call Karen. If you really, really need to do that, if you really honestly do, and there may be situations where you do, best thing you could do is, is get a hold, if you're a lady here, get a hold of Karen and say, Karen, I, I would really like to meet with you and Reggie together. And I got something very serious. It's to that point I need to talk to, and, I, and I'd like for both of you to be there. I'm not going to meet with any of you women by yourselves. Amen. Okay? Good. I'm just not going to do that. And uh, uh, I don't need it. Nobody else needs it. I don't, you know, it's just, that's just the way it is. But what's happened is these people feed off of, I'm the one that has the answers. I'm the counselor. You're the counselee. I'm super spiritual. You're not. You, you can't, you can't, you don't have the ability to get it from God. So you have to go through me. They kind of become again, a priesthood. The counseling thing has turned into kind of a modern day priesthood. And I told a man the other day, talked to me about this church who doesn't go here. He's from quite a ways off and asked about, I said, I try to create a dependency upon God, not on me. I could die tonight. Anything could go on. I could just be blown out of the saddle. Anything could happen. What are you going to do? I don't, I've never want to create a dependency upon me. You need God. You need to be able to go to the Bible and say, God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need to know what to do. And by the way, don't ever pour your heart out to some preacher. That's just me. You know, do what you want to. But this just brings trouble. To be honest with you, I don't need to hear all the details. If, if, if a husband comes to me and he starts just talking about his wife and how terrible she is, she can't cook, she can't do this, she don't do this, you know, it's just, it kind of poisons your mind about that person. And you just can't think clearly about, you know, it can poison you. I don't, I just, I'm, has anybody got the idea I'm not for this counseling business? I'm just not for this counseling business. I want you to go to God for counsel. Amen. And I wouldn't advise you to go to some Christian counseling service either. Save yourself $250 an hour or $500 an hour and read your Bible. Amen. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Go to God. Take a walk on the backside of the farm. Fall on your face and say, God, I need your help. Amen. And God, I'm going to, I want your help, not some man's help. Reggie don't know beans, some apple butter. I ain't going to him. 
Reggie ain't got enough sense to take care of his own life. I ain't going to him. I'm going to you, God. Say amen right there. That's what I want you to do, all right? Anyway, let's get... But I just want to say, um, uh, be careful about that. Be careful about it. Number seven, the desire to remove hurts can re- react to that. All right. Um, an exhorter will try to help a person find benefit from his hurts, but one with the gift of mercy tries to remove the source of the hurts. And that's where they can get in trouble sometimes. And uh, as I said, you can react to God's purposes uh, a mercy sometimes can get bitter at God or bitter at people because things because somebody's suffering. They don't understand why they have to go through this sufferings. Uh, listen, I I, um, I get stuff all the time. There's a lot of hurting people out here in this world. I mean, there's a lot of hurting people out here in this world. And you can't fix it all. If I had my way tonight, I'd zap everybody and fix everybody. You ain't going to fix everybody's troubles. But God teaches suffering, and we're going to suffer. And if you're a mercy tonight, don't deceive yourself into thinking that you're going to fix everybody's hurts. You're not going to. But what you can do is just keep pointing. But you can love them and put your arm around them and love them and let them know you care. And that counts. Amen? Amen. Now, when I'm hurting and I'm sick, I want people to feel sorry. Just feel sorry for them. Just lie to them and say, oh, I feel so sorry for you. How many, would believe, how many would believe it if I said, oh, I feel so sorry for you? You say, quit lying, preacher. You don't care. No, I do care. I really do. But uh, be careful about that, all right, in your desire to remove from hurts. Number eight, uh, a mercy measures acceptance by closeness. And um, John, he not only laid his head upon the bosom of Christ, but he also asked Jesus if he could sit next to him in his throne. I think John was a little selfish. Don't you think he was a little self-centered? He loves me the most. I want to sit next to him. I want to be right. I'm going to be the one sitting beside Jesus at the Lord's Supper table. All right. And um, the misuse of that is failing to show deference, of course. Number nine, the last one, then we're going to get into the good part. Uh, attracted to prophets. <laughs> I don't know whether I believe this or not. What happened to my screen? It went out on me. Huh? That was them? Okay. It wasn't you? No. Oh, I thought it was you. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, opposites do attract. And if you're in a situation where there's a prophet and a mercy, boy, you better learn them. You better learn how they think. Learn how they act. So, and it'd be a blessing to you. It'd be a help. A lot of strength there. And, I, you know, a prophet needs the balance of that mercy. All right. Just to give you an example, your child does something wrong. The dad's a prophet. Come in here right now. <laughs> honey, honey. The mercy. I said, come in here right now. But honey, you don't know the. Don't tell me I don't know. I saw what he did. I know what he did. You see that everybody working at it? Now, the little child's standing there going. <laughs> and the child is hoping who wins. <laughs> Y'all got it figured out. Amen. <laughs> that was so funny this morning when I asked for a raise of hands of how many would rather live for, with a mercy than a prophet. And almost the whole church, mercy. Isn't it how funny? We want mercy. 
And it was about four or five hands raised they'd rather live with the prophet. I, I was going to write down who they were, but I, didn't quite, I couldn't write it down fast enough. But I'm going to tell you something. In your home, even among children, how they react to certain situations. You can see brothers and sisters, how they react to their siblings and how they react to everything is depending on their spiritual gift, how they see it. And so it's good to know these things. We're going to move on to something tonight about God's mercy uh, because to know and understand mercy, we've got to know the God of mercy. Mercy is not a human, human, a human thing. Mercy is a God thing. And so tonight, uh, I, I just want to say a few things. We're going to let you out. We're going to look at some scriptures. I want you to get in the book of Psalms, chapter uh, 13, if you will, boys, verse number five. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures. Now, I'm going to give you an assignment to do, a spiritual assignment. I want you to take your concordance, and I want you to look up every verse in the Bible that says mercy or merciful or anything to do with mercy. It will blow you away. And I want to say something to you. When God wanted his people to know what he was like, what did he do? When he took the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, got them out there in the desert, and he said, I'm going to reveal myself to you, and I'm going to show you how to worship me and what I'm like. What did he do? He said, Moses, I'm going to give you a pattern of things in heaven. And I want you to build it exactly like I tell you, don't you deviate from it in no way, shape, or form. Exodus chapter 25, he gives Moses the instructions for the tabernacle. God did not start from the outward and work himself in. Now watch this. This is exactly how he works with you in salvation. God does not start cleaning you up on the outside and telling you to put up a white linen fence around your life. He comes to your spirit. The outer court spoke of your body. The holy place speaks of your soul. And the most holy place speaks of your spirit. Where was God at? Where did he tell Moses to be at? In the most holy place. What did God start with in the very first thing he told Moses to make? The Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark of the Covenant was to be made of gold and wood, which pictures the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. The gold, his deity, the wood, his humanity. It was a box about the size of this table. On top of it, though, it had a lid that was totally gold, no wood in it. And it speaks of the divineness of God, the deity of Christ, and this whole thing speaks of Jesus But it was called something. And it was a picture of his throne. Now watch this. It was a picture of God's throne. It's where God was. You had the cherubims. Okay. By the way, when it was all built, what happened? What the glory of God filled that place, symbolizing this is where God is. This is where God resides. Now I want to ask you a question. What did God call that place the the mercy seat if you want to know something about God tonight you listen to this carefully the first time God ever told man to build anything that would symbolize what he is in heaven he didn't say Moses build me a throne of judgment if you really want to know who God is Go back and see how he revealed himself to Moses for people to approach him. 
The only way we can approach him is through mercy, his mercy. And God said it's a mercy seat. I just want you to think about that. He could have said, build me a throne of judgment, bring those people in here. I'm going to tell them everything they do wrong. I'm going to fix these guys. And I'm going to punish people who aren't doing right. Please tonight, young people, please get this. The God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God we came tonight to worship, is a God who first revealed himself on his throne as a place of mercy. Now you listen to me. There will be a time when there'll be a different throne. Amen. It's called the great white throne. And it is not a throne of mercy. It is a throne of judgment. And there will be nothing there but the wrath of God. There will be no mercy at the great white throne judgment. That's right. There will only be the wrath of God and the judgment of God. But now today, in the true tabernacle in heaven, that's what Hebrews says, is the mercy seat. Now here's the deal. How do you get to the mercy seat? Through Jesus Christ's blood. When you came through that tabernacle gateway, He's the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. What's the first thing you hit when you walk through the gate? The brazen altar where the lambs were sacrificed and killed and the blood was shed. It's a picture of Calvary. That you cannot approach God without blood being shed. Without an innocent substitute and innocent sacrifice. And you and I cannot approach the throne of mercy tonight. It's also called in Hebrews a throne of grace. Think about this. If God's throne was not a seat of mercy and grace, you and I would have no hope. And so every day you wake up and every day you live your life, I want you to remember that God, when he first revealed himself and his position about men and how men could approach him, it was a God of mercy. And I'm going to tell you something tonight. Why is it in the book of Acts David, when they're preaching, is called a man after God's own heart. And yet, that man murdered people, killed people, committed, I mean, done everything you could imagine. And yet, the Bible said in the New Testament, he was a man after God's own heart. We're going to show you in a little bit. You're going to see it. But the raw truth of it is, it's because he understood God, that God is a God of mercy. He's different than all the gods and religions of the world. They're not gods of mercy. And when you came into that, uh, that tabernacle proper and you, there was the brazen altar, after that was the brazen laver, and that's where the water was, picturing the Bible, and you examine yourself and judge yourself, and then you could go into the holy place where there was the candlestick, the light, Jesus the light, the sh- table of showbread, Jesus is our bread, the altar of incense, he's our high priest, ever lives to intercess, intercede for us. And behind that veil was the mercy seat. And he said, watch this. In Exodus, it says this. There, get this. There will I meet with thee. You are not meeting God anyplace else. Except unless you you say, I won't meet you there. But you're going to meet God. That's right. Okay? And you're going to meet him at a mercy seat or you're going to meet him at a judgment seat. God wants you to meet him at a mercy seat. Now, 
And I'm going to tell you something. This old boy's thankful for that. And I hope you'll be thankful. And I hope you'll remember every day of your life that God is not sitting up there on some throne with a club in his hand wanting to beat you over the head. Amen. Praise the Lord. He made provision for your sin to be paid for, and he did it in the blood and the death of his son. We were singing a while ago that first song. What was the first song we sung? Brother Glidden, help me a little bit. Huh? Grace greater than our sin. I told Karen, we sat there, I said that to me it's one of the greatest concepts in the universe. That his grace is greater than our sin. What's that got to do with? It has to do with mercy. And I want you to remember every day of your life that the God we worship at this church is a God of mercy. He is ready to forgive. He has made judicial provision for your sin to be forgiven. Through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And I am so thrilled tonight that I'm going to lay my head on my pillow. And I'm going to know that I've worshipped a God today who is a God of mercy. And who first revealed himself not as a God of judgment wanting to send us to hell. But a God who said, I will extend mercy through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. You ain't never going to hear no better news than that in your life. You're never going to hear. So we're going to look at what David. Look at what David said in Psalms 13. But I have trusted in what? He didn't say that he trusted in his good works. He didn't trust in his baptism. He didn't trust in how good he was living. He didn't trust in nothing but the mercy of God. You better get that verse. But I have trusted in thy mercy. And we you know what could happen? His heart could rejoice in thy salvation because he wasn't trusting his own goodness anymore. David, how many believe David found out he wasn't a good man? I believe David found out he wasn't a nice guy. I believe David found out that his heart was desperately wicked, deceitful above all things who can know it. You know what, David came to the point of understanding that we all need to understand is that I'm going to heaven by the mercy of God, not by how good I am. You know what I think really bothers God is when people act they're going to be good enough to go to heaven and they throw his mercy out the door. God, I don't need your mercy. I'm good enough. I'm living it. I'm a nice enough person. I've done enough religious things to merit heaven. No, you haven't. I haven't either, and you're not going to. You will go to heaven on mercy. He's a God of the mercy seat. Amen. Amen. So, let's go to, um, uh, let's take off. Psalms 23, 6. Surely goodness and what? Man alive. Psalms, uh, 25, 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Man alive, you talking about. I just encourage you, read your Bible on mercy. Psalms 40, 11. Psalms 40, 11. Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. I, I'm, I want you to get this. It will make me want to jump. He didn't, say, he didn't say, Lord, how good I'm living is going to preserve me. Right. You know what's going to preserve you? What? Mercy. Tender mercies and loving kindness and his truth. Amen. You're not preserving yourself. That's right. You're not living good enough. There ain't nobody in this building living good enough. Yeah. If you can lose your salvation, everybody in this building has lost it already. You're done gone. You ain't saving yourself. You can't keep yourself. You ain't living good enough. You tell me you're living good enough to go to heaven. You're saying you don't need the mercy of God. Amen. Don't tell me that stuff. I'll knock the pot righteous stilts right up underneath you. 
Mercy is totally opposite of self-righteousness. Mercy is totally up. Mercy says I am guilty. Yeah. I deserve hell. I've done nothing to deserve the forgiveness of God. Amen. Amen. That's why, you know what? Did you know? I want to ask you a little question. When's the last time you heard an old-time Bible message on mercy? Can I tell you why you don't hear it on? Because they don't believe in it. They believe it's how good they live. Yeah. Amen. Some of you sitting back and going to soul up like a bullfrog. I'm going to tell you right now. God's going to knock the props out from underneath self-righteousness. You're saved by his mercy. Amen. And everything after that's his mercy. He said, well, I quit running around with my wife. That's his mercy. I quit doing this. That's his mercy. Everything, everything you do that might please God and be obedient to God is the mercy of God working by the Holy Spirit of God in you. Your flesh, hey, can I tell you something? Your flesh didn't pop up and say, I'm going to be nice from here to heaven. Your flesh is just as rotten as it was the day you got saved. You just find out how worse it is. Amen. Well, anyway, let's go on. I'll quit preaching. Psalms 51.1. David had been approached by Nathan, the prophet. And this is his response. This, watch this. This is his response after Nathan, the prophet, approached him about Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God. He didn't go around and say, well, everybody does it. Yeah. Ain't nothing new. Well, Lord, she was, she was this and she was that. And she was, oh, no, he didn't say any of that, did he? This is why David's a man after God's own heart. He knew God's mercy. Would to God we'd get that. You know what? You'll never learn to worship God until you get to where you understand it's all mercy. As long as you think it's kind of you and how good you're doing, you, you ain't going to be able to shout, say amen, hallelujah, and praise God, Amen. Have mercy upon me, God, according to thy what? Loving kindness. Watch him. According unto the multitude of thy what? Tender mercies. Psalm 69, 11. I got the wrong one down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 16, verse 16. Psalm 69, 16. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. I want to tell you what God's looking for. God's not looking for you to turn over a new leaf. God's not looking for you to, to, to have a self-improvement program. God's not looking for you to get a new set of standards. God is looking for you to humble yourself before him and say, God, I'll live by your mercy. I'm saved by your mercy. Psalm 77, 9. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. The word selah means think about that. God hasn't shut up his tender mercies. All that David did, God was still merciful to him. I want to ask you something. By the way, let's just get in on this. Who was Bathsheba's grandpa? Ahithophel. Does anybody know what Ahithophel wound up doing? What did he do? He hung himself. How many knows why he hung himself? Because he didn't get a hold of God's mercy. Ahithophel, Brother Danny, wasn't the, wasn't the one who went and stole somebody else's wife and had her husband killed. But he's the one who wound up hanging himself. It's dangerous not to understand the mercy of God. 
Now watch this. Some, you were talking about you at the gift of mercy tonight? It's my guess that Ahithophel was a mercy. And he was so hurt of what happened to his granddaughter and his son-in-law. And he took up a fence and could not get over it. And was so bitter and it so ate him up as a spiritual cancer, he could not forgive David. But watch this. But God did. I want to ask you and I something tonight. Are you going to forgive people that hurt you? Can God forgive people? Do you reckon the people that's hurt you the most, do you reckon God has forgiven them if they've asked him? Are we? You want to be like God? You want to be like Jesus Christ? Have mercy. There's more said about mercy than probably any one attribute I know about God. And when I got thinking about this, I thought, how was the first way God revealed himself as far as worshiping him and knowing who he is? It was in the tabernacle, and he said, it's a mercy seat. If you want to know him. You need to get this verse, and I'll tell you why. How many has ever been like Reg Kelly? And thought, I've probably gone too far this time. I've probably sinned too much. How could God just... How many's, how many's done what you said you wouldn't do over and over again? How many's ever thought, how, the devil ever comes and said, that's it, you crossed the line. God run out of mercy. There's no more mercy left in heaven for you. David wondered that. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his mercies? If you read the whole chapter, you understand that he, he realized where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. We're going to read before we, the Bible said his mercy is new every morning. How many believe that? Amen. Every morning, God's mercy isn't brand new. Oh, I'm so glad. Amen. When you look out in the morning and you see the first light come up, you just remember God's mercy is new. When you see the dew on the ground, remember God's mercy is new. And you better be glad. Well, we've got to go on here. What are we at? 77. Get, let's do 79, verse number 8. Oh, remember not against us, our, us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. There's so much in these things. 89, 1. 89, uh, 89, 1. I will, watch this. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. David said, I'm so happy about the mercy of God, I'm just going to sing about it. 103, verse number 4. Psalms 103, verse 4. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee. Watch this, watch this, watch this. He crowneth thee with loving kindness and what else? Tender mercies. What's the very nature of mercy? What's the very nature of mercy? What's it say? What What is mercy saying? When you think of it in spiritual terms, you need God's mercy. You couldn't do anything. You deserved punishment. You weren't good enough. You failed. You sinned. The very nature of mercy says that you couldn't be good enough. This is what David demanded. You know what? God's not... 
I, I want to tell you all something tonight. I want you, I want to live clean. I want you all to live clean, but you ain't going to live perfectly clean. Can I tell you that? Don't tell me you are. You ain't your line right there and that fixed you. <laughs> Let me tell you what God's looking for. God's looking for a man who understands that he's a God of mercy and appreciates it and doesn't abuse it and applies it to his life and understands the nature of who God is and what he's like. And I'm telling you, he's a God of mercy. He's not a God of, that just wants to hurt people and damage people. He wants, to, he wants to have mercy upon you. Well, let's go to the next one. What are we on? The 100, 106, verse number 7 and 45. 106, verse number 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remember not the multitude of thy mercy. That's what gets us in trouble. We forget the mercy of God. Go to verse 45. And he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. Let me just tell you something. Mercy and a, a biblical comprehension, a spiritual comprehension of mercy will lead you to repentance faster than hard preaching will. Yeah. It's truth. Psalms 119, verse 41. We're going to run through these real quick and let you out. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. Verse number 77. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live. Verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Psalms 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. I want you to go to Lamentations, chapter number 3. Lamentations chapter number 3, verse 22. It is the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They, His mercies, are new every morning. And there's your song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But look at verse number 32, if you will, there. Verse 32. Though He cause grief, yet will He have compassion according to the multitude of His mercies. Well, you ought to read that. Lamentation good. He who doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Uh, let's go to uh, Psalms 20, verse number 8. Why don't you look at Psalms 20, verse number 8. Ah, I've got the wrong verse. Try Isaiah 16, 5. Isaiah 16, 5. There it is. And in mercy shall the throne be established. The Bible teaches that even leaders of men, authority is established by mercy and truth. Leadership needs to know how to have mercy. Now I'm going to ask you, let's, let's check you out tonight. A guy, let's just put up a scenario. A guy uh, go, breaks into a home, uh, kills the husband, rapes the wife, kills three kids. It's all over the news. He's arrested, charged, brought into court, and his lawyer gets up and says to the judge, but judge, this man has six children. And if we send him to penitentiary or we execute him, those children are not going to have a father in their home. <laughs> and they're not going to be able to make it in life. They need their daddy. And yes, what he did is wrong, but Judge, you were asking you for, for mercy today. I want to ask you, if you were the judge, what are you going to do? If you were on the jury, what are you going to do? 
not only that, but Judge, one of these six children has cancer real bad. And he's in and out of the hospital all the time. What are you going to do? How many of you committed a crime would want to stand before a judge who has the spiritual gift of prophecy or a judge who has the spiritual gift of mercy? <laughs> Not hard to figure out. Not hard to figure out. But what would you do? You're the judge. This man has committed a horrible crime. You find out, and they've got his six little children lined up there, and one with cancer sitting in a wheelchair there, head bald, maybe oxygen on him. What are you going to do? You got to balance mercy with truth. There's a place for mercy. But I'm telling you, the concept of mercy and justice is so critical to occur. What we've got going on now is this attitude to just mercy, 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 and there's nothing wrong with nothing, and there's no justice about anything. Let me just tell you why this is important to be preached in churches and taught to people, because what is being taught in the churches funnels its way into Congress, funnels its way into the judges' seats, funnels its way into the courts. And when a and when a people are not biblically sound on justice and mercy, Amen. they get perversion in their courts. That's right. You got picked up and had three bags of marijuana in your car. Shucks. Knew I should have put that in a spare tar. They bring you before a judge. And you got three bags, you had three, they got the evidence there. Now, you're going to be the judge in this scene, okay? You're the judge. They bring him up, judge, three bags, here's the evidence. But you and three or four other attorneys go down the lake together quite a bit. And when you're out on your big boat, you all smoke a few joints. There you go. How are you going to rule? Send him to jail. We need to put a stop to this drug use. Do you know why that marijuana is even on the ballot this fall? It's because most of the people, this is honest truth. Most of the people who are enforcing the laws are already using it. And they just want their consciences cleared by legalizing it. And then there's a bonus to that. Just think of the taxes they can gather off of sale of of marijuana. Uh, It's just like gambling, man. We make, boy, it's it's made our state so much sweeter. The casinos, the gambling, you know, the lottery. I know some of you are buying lottery tickets. You buy them, you got to split it with me. Just remember that. No, I was kidding you. But if you were the judge, what are you going to tell him? He's been caught with three bags. You're a judge. What are you going to do? You're supposed to execute the law. You see how mercy can be perverted? Or how justice can be perverted? Okay. Well, better get done with this uh, tonight. 
Go to Je last scriptures, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 13. Man, you guys do a great job. I sure appreciate it. Watch this. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Don't ever remember that. You're going to need mercy. Go to chapter 3, verse 17. James chapter 3, verse 17. That the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. Watch this. Full of mercy. That's wisdom from above. Go to 5.11. Chapter 5.11, we finish out. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I don't want you to ever forget God's a merciful God. Amen. How many would be in hell tonight wasn't the mercy of God? I'd be in hell wasn't the mercy of God. Amen. So I want to finish this like this tonight. God's a just God. He's a holy God. He's got a truth and righteousness. All right? And he'll no wise clear the guilty. But through Christ, you can have mercy. Now, if God will be merciful to you and I, we ought to be merciful to each other. I'm going to ask this church, let's have mercy on each other. If I fall, I appreciate your mercy. If I mess up, I appreciate your mercy. And I think what we would do ourselves well to be a merciful people to others as God has shown us mercy. Let's stand and go home. What do you say?